Welcome to New Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Those of you who are new here to Numa, welcome. It's such an honor to have you a part of the family. Uh, if you're wondering what the heck is going on around here, uh, it's not the water that we're drinking. Uh, well, could be actually. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a move of God. Uh, and uh, we've been in a season of uh, hosting revival nights and pastors and leaders coming from all over the body of Christ, people flying in who are sick, getting ministered to, and, and the miracles are now in the hundreds, and uh, we are having a revival night every Thursday night and a revival service um, every uh, Sunday at 4 p.m., replacing our 4 and 5 o'clock. The reality is every time we gather together, it's basically revival. Okay, God is moving, God is doing something, and we're just leaning in and following uh, the voice of the Spirit. I was ministering up at a church and a conference in uh, Brisbane on the weekend and preached on the Friday night. Overnight, the pastor was awoken uh, in tears, began to repent of, of stuff in his life that God was challenging him with. He turned up to the conference the next morning. He began to repent to the congregation uh, of, you know, not like stuff that you go scandals, but just stuff in his own heart that, that was not right. And what was happening here in our church broke out there. And then the whole weekend, it's like the whole church uh, did a pastor's event up there it's like they'd never seen anything like it before. They were their words. And I just can tell you, let us not become overly familiar with what God is doing here. We need to honour it. We need to steward it because um, we don't own the market share on anything. We've got to stay hungry and we've got to stay in a posture of humility and we've got to steward what God is doing. So I want to speak into uh, that today. Galatians 5 verse 16. Bible says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, verse 25, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, which is uh, pride or being proud, provoking one another, envying one another. I want to speak to you today on the subject, who is leading you? Who is leading you? I came across an uh, interesting Instagram video uh, during the week of a seven-year-old boy leaving home 
with his backpack on, throwing a little temper tanty as he walked out the back door and the mother was in the window filming as the father was chasing the boy. Son, what are you doing? Come back. And uh, the boy says, no, you don't love me anymore. And the father said, what are you talking about? All I asked you to do was stop playing Xbox. And the seven-year-old replied, that's the same thing. And I thought to myself, isn't that just like the default of our sin nature and our flesh is to resist anything or anyone that restricts us from doing what we want to do. And we find ourselves living in a culture, the spirit of the age, that prides itself on not following anyone or anything except self. And to be honest with you, we shouldn't really be surprised at this because in 2 Timothy 3.5, the apostle Paul to his protege Timothy prophesied that in the last days, people would be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. In other words, they would be committed to being led by themselves rather than being led by a higher authority, a higher power, the Spirit of God. Little do we know that all of us are led by something. We like to think that, you know, no one can tell us what to do, etc., etc. But we, we don't realize even spiritually we are all led by something. You could be, according to this passage, led by the works of your flesh. You could be led by the impulses of your addictions or your appetites. Your unrestrained behavior could be a reflection of what you are led by. All of us are led by something. You could be led by the spirit of the age or the spirit of the world that tries to come in and undermine what the truth of God's word says by the spirit of the Antichrist, by the spirit of the age, which is very much me-centered. You could be led by lies or deception. And so depending upon what lies or deception or spiritual blindness that you are operating out of, what you believe about that actually empowers the influence of the liar, the father of lies in your life. You could be led by the letter of the law, not just even from a uh, biblical perspective, but from a, a legislated behavior perspective where everything is black and white for you. And, uh, and so you, you, you find the letter of the law comforting, safe. It provides boundaries and guidelines. And I'm not talking about being anti-authoritarian or anti-honoring of the government and what God has put in place to establish civil society, but I'm talking about how we can be led by legalism. And it's so important that we understand that this is not the first time that people would be led by something other than the Spirit of God. The church in Galatia, this letter that the Apostle Paul is actually writing to, had deserted the gospel and was defaulting to being led by the Mosaic law, the external works and, and, and observance of the law, that they'd cease being led by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so Paul writes to the church in Galatia 
And he uses such strong language and says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? How does know that's strong language? In other words, he's basically implying that to be led by something other than the Holy Spirit is to actually open your heart and open yourself up to a, 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 an influence of the spirit of witchcraft in your life to the point that you are bewitched. You're actually blinded by this, this influence, this spirit, this external observance other than the person of Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul writes in chapter 3, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You see, to be a follower of Jesus is to be led by the Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have really no other choice but to be led by the Spirit of God. The Bible says in verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. There are many people that want to be leaders. Jesus is looking for followers. That's right. right. He's looking for people that will take a cue from his example and get into the slipstream of the spirit and will follow him rather than having to be the leader. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So if we are not reproducing the fruit of the kingdom, if we are not making more disciples of Jesus, if we are not demonstrating the fruit of who Jesus is and the work of the Spirit in our life, we need to ask the question, who are we following? And if that's not the case, then maybe we're actually being led by ourselves and led by the spirit of the age and not by the work of the spirit in our lives. Romans 8.14 says this, for all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. Meaning if you're a child of God, you're going to be led by the spirit. And if you're led by the spirit, you are a child of God. The Bible goes on in verse 15 and says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I tell you, there's something going on in the spirit right now in this room. I I can feel it. I'm a little bit distracted because I can sense it. Father, I just take authority right now in Jesus' name of every distraction. I command every demonic spirit, spirit of witchcraft in this room right now to be bound. That, Father, the word of God that is unbound would reach and penetrate every single person's heart right now in Jesus' name. I take authority over that. And I ask, oh God, for liberty and freedom in Jesus' name. See, it's it's no coincidence that the greatest encounter that I've ever had with the Holy Spirit in my entire life happened after I asked the question, God, will you father me? It was at midday here 
And I guess I'm going to be talking about this a long time because it has marked my life. Yeah. I went out quickly to the bathroom as Pastor Ben was leading the church into the altar call. And I, as I'm walking out of the bathroom, I said, God, will you father me? And I started to walk down this side tunnel and the Holy Spirit stopped me and he said, are you serious about that? Do you really want me to father you? Yes, Lord, I want that. That's what I want. And so as I came up the back here, the back of the platform, I began to walk down. Within five minutes, the greatest encounter that I've ever had with the Holy Spirit in my entire life, and I've had a lot of encounters, not only hit me, but broke open in this church. And for the next 12 hours, we saw the manifest presence and power of God the greatest beauty and force of mass healings and deliverances and, and an almighty breakout that no man or woman could ever dictate or control. It's no coincidence that that happened as I came into a fresh place of reliance and surrender saying, God, will you father me? I didn't say, God, will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? I didn't say, God, would you, I want revival. I said, God, will you father me? Yeah. Yeah. And until we come into a revelation of the Father heart of God, yeah. will we see the, the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts and at work in our lives? You, do, you see, to be fathered by God is to be led by the Holy Spirit. To be led by the Holy Spirit is to be fathered by God. How does God the Father lead you? By His Spirit through His Word. And so if we're not being led by the Holy Spirit into the truth of God's Word, then we've got to ask, are we actually being fathered by God? See, to a lot of people, to be fathered or to be mothered implies control. They don't want to be controlled. I was having a conversation with someone yesterday at a shopping centre and they were talking about an employee that they had that would sort of give counsel to customers, some of them teenagers, and, the, and they'd ask them, are you going to this music festival, this or that? And the teenager would say, no, 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 my parents wouldn't allow me. And this person, this employee started to give them counsel. Who are your parents to tell you what to do? You can do whatever you want. And eventually this employee lost their job because of all the issues and dysfunction and toxicity that was taking place in their life and through their life in the workplace. And I'm like, that's the spirit of the age. That's like, we don't want to be fathered. We want to be our own lords. We want to be our own gods. We want to be our own masters of the universe. But if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be fathered. You need to, the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you and work in your life. And whilst God is ultimately your father, he also places spiritual fathers and mothers in our lives to help us and to disciple us, sometimes to admonish us. But you need to know you can trust the voice of the Father because when the Father comes by His Spirit with big pruning scissors and begins to cut some stuff off in you, it's not to punish you and it's not to hurt you, it's to produce the fruit of life in you. If we have not received discipline from our Heavenly Father, we are illegitimate children. 
The fact that you're being disciplined and admonished by God to be more Christ-like is indicative of the fact that you are a child of God. You are loved. You are led by the Spirit. And Hebrews 12 tells us that, that we are disciplined and we're fathered by the heart of God so that we may share in His holiness. Yeah. The Bible says, be holy as I am holy. You can't be holy in your own flesh. You can't be holy in your own strength. First of all, you need the work, the redemptive, reconciling work of Jesus' blood to affect in your heart and in your life to rip the veil of separation between you and the Father. But then you need the work of the Spirit and the Word to regenerate you and sanctify you to help you to become like Jesus. We will never share in his holiness if we're not willing to be led by his spirit. So to be a follower of Jesus is to be led by the spirit of God. And to be led by the spirit of God is to live a crucified life. The Bible says in verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's really interesting in this passage that the Apostle Paul contrasts the work of the flesh, which are self-evident. He goes through a long list. By the end of it, you feel like you need a bath, sort of thing, you know. <laughs> Sexual immorality and orgies and all sorts of crazy sensuality, idolatry, uh, all these different lists of sins that often, you know, you, we, we think to ourselves, well, I hope that person is reading that today because they need it, when actually the Holy Spirit could be pointing at you, all right? Yeah, we, we seem to judge ourselves by our intentions and other people by their actions, if you know what I'm talking about. And, and so Paul goes through this long list of stuff and, and he says, these are the works of the flesh. And then he goes through the fruits of the Spirit that are developed as you and I partner with the work of the Spirit in our lives. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the Spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that produces the fruit of life in us. But everything that is done in the flesh, by, through the works of our flesh, according to the default of our sin nature, in light of eternity, amounts to nothing. When you indulge in the works of the flesh, you may feel something in that moment of like sinful pleasure. But you just need to know that that's a fleeting feeling and it amounts to absolutely zero, nada, nothing in your life. It makes no iota of a difference other than, as the Bible says, disinheriting you from the kingdom of God. So in order to disinherit you from the kingdom of God, you first of all have had to be, have it as an inheritance. He's speaking to Christians. Oh my gosh. He's speaking to believers. He's not speaking to unsaved people. He's speaking to church attenders. Because he says, you will not inherit. So, so you need to know Ephesians 1 it says, you've received an inheritance. 
a spiritual inheritance. When you were born again, born of the Spirit, regenerated, you are now an heir of all every good and perfect gift that comes from above. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. So for us to default back to the old nature and actually begin to uh, work in our lives according to the flesh will cause us to be disqualified in the kingdom of God. What was the warning in the scriptures about if you've tasted of the heavenly gift and you're to walk away from it, how can you taste of it again? Now, praise be to Jesus that there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's mercy. But for those of us who are persisting in not sharing in the holiness of who God is by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, we'll have to begin to indulge the sin nature, live according to our carnal thinking and engage in the works of the flesh and ultimately be disqualified from spending eternity in the fullness of the kingdom of God where Jesus will look at people who think that they've got an inheritance of the kingdom and say, depart from me, I never knew you. Now isn't that that scary? If that doesn't put some measure of the fear of God in you, I don't know what will today. And so that is why we've got to answer the question in our lives, who is leading me? Is it my flesh? Is it myself? Is it the spirit of the age? Or is it the person of the Holy Spirit? You see, the works of the flesh are a default back to the sin nature. When you got saved, you got regenerated by the Spirit of God. But the biggest transformation that happens after you've been regenerated is in your thinking. It's in your mind. That's why the Bible speaks so much about renewing the mind. And so if we don't allow our minds to be renewed and, and there isn't an upgrade in the operating system of the spirit of our mind, we're saved, we can attend church, but actually we default to a carnal approach to life, we indulge in the works of the flesh. And what we don't realise is you persist in that, your conscience becomes seared and you begin to tolerate sin in your life, justifying it, using grace as a liberty and a licence, not realising you're getting further and further away from the heart of God, the Father, heart of God, the Spirit of God. Jesus said this, broad is the pathway that leads to death and many people are travelling on that pathway. But narrow is the pathway that leads to life. What's the pathway that leads to life? Being led by the Spirit of God, allowing the Spirit of God to develop and cultivate within you His character, His Christ-likeness. I find it really interesting to hear believers and particularly new Christians talk about the struggle that they have once they get saved between their flesh and their spirit. Who has ever struggled with their flesh as a, as a Christian here today? It's good in the previous service there was a lying spirit and so we <laughs> cast that out. But in this service, you're really honest. It's awesome. Um, but, but if you've ever struggled or felt resistance between your flesh and the spirit, welcome to the family. It, it, it's real life, real talk. Take it as a vote of confidence and as a sign, you're a child of God. 
And this is why we've got to be so careful about what we are saving or introducing people into when they give their lives to Jesus. Because if we get up here and start promising, oh, God has a wonderful plan for your life, and which he does, but, you know, all your problems are going to go away. And, you know, everything's going to be rosy and champagne and roses and it's all good and you'll just live the blessed life. And, and it's all, everything's going to be perfect. And then when people, in, if they get saved up to that kind of thinking and approach, then when they meet their first problem, their first resistance, their family now has disowned them because they're one of the crazy Jesus followers and work colleagues don't don't understand or connect or relate anymore because you don't enter into the jokes and and into the behaviour and the works of the flesh like you used to. All of a sudden, their their brains, our brains are, are trying to compute and clarify what exactly is happening here because we've been brought in to the kingdom of God under false pretenses and notions other than the truth that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. There's warfare. There's resistance. There's a struggle. What does the Bible say in verse 17? For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I have found myself over these last four weeks becoming so mindful and conscious of my own sinfulness. Have you discovered the closer you get to Jesus, the more aware you are of your sinfulness? The more aware you are of that thought, you're like, where did that thought come from? I didn't even have bad pizza last night. It comes from pride or it comes from a lie that has been spoken over you from a loved one years ago. And you've believed that lie, you've bought into it and it's empowered you. Or it's empowered, should I say, the work of the liar in your life. You are going to feel a struggle the closer you get to Jesus because you're going to be so conscious and aware of your sinfulness. But this is why you need to be led by the Spirit because the same Holy Spirit that saved you and regenerated you by the blood of Jesus through your faith is the same Holy Spirit that will empower you to conquer your flesh and to grow in Christ's likeness and to develop the fruits of the Spirit in your life. And so I understand now why in the middle of this God encounter on August 28th, which is now affectionately coined Super Bowl Sunday for what God did. I understand now why out of my mouth, I didn't know what I was saying. I said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I memorized that verse as a teenager. Whoever grew up in church and memorized verses, good Sunday school kids or kids church, you memorize verse. And, and, and I love memorizing scripture. And, and, and I know Galatians 2.20. I knew that off by heart. The, the Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I know that. But on that day after that encounter, I knew that. 
It was not just information in my head. It was not just a memory verse in my mouth. It was life and spirit. It was revelation where I realized, how could I not surrender everything? How can I not give up everything? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So to be led by the spirit means you're no longer in control of your life. To live by the Spirit is to die to yourself. I think sometimes we send out wrong ideas of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We say, oh, you can follow Jesus, but still stay alive. (laughs) Oh, can I just preach truth today? (laughs) I I wish there was another gospel. I wish there was another message. I, I, I wish there was something that would encourage your dysfunction and my dysfunction and for us to be comfortable and complete. I wish there was, but there just isn't. There just isn't. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you pick up your cross. You die to yourself. You live the crucified life to, because to be led by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit is not to be filled with you. I'm not talking about your personality, or I'm not talking about the beautiful, wonderful aspects of how God created you. I'm talking about your sin nature, your flesh, that part of you, that shadow self that wants to indulge in what you want to do. To be led by yourself is not to be led by the Spirit, but to be led by the Spirit is to die to yourself. And the only way you and I can stay free of the works of our flesh And the influence of sin in our life is to stay being led by the Spirit. You realise everything the Spirit is about is about freedom. So many people, you know, they're like, church, I'm not into religion, all those rules. I I, I go, I'm not into it either. (laughs) Like if this is just a religious service today, oh please, I'm the first one out the door with my bags. I'm gone. I guarantee you, I'm not hanging around. If all this is, is bells and smells and, you know, like, you know, going through the ritual motion, I'm the first one gone. Find a new pastor. But the Bible says it's for freedom Christ has set you free. The only way to stay in that freedom is to be filled, immersed, and led, developed by the Spirit of God to be conformed to the image of His Son. Freedom isn't you doing whatever you want to do. Freedom is being yoked to be a slave of Jesus. Oh, Lord. This is not popular preaching. This isn't live your best life now. I can assure you. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life in all of its abundance and life in all of its fullness. But how many of us know Jesus' idea of fullness and abundance of life looks a little bit different to the world's? Just looks a little bit different. So if we're going to be led by the Spirit, the Spirit we are led by, Paul says, we must keep in step with. He says in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
I would summarize that with my words, go with the ghost. The ghost, the term ghost is a King James term for spirit. All right, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. It's an old school word. We don't really use it a lot, but every now and then, you know, and, and on team and on staff here, we just, they know, I just say, hey, go with the ghost. What's the Spirit of God saying? You know why? I used to hear people preach and they say, you know, if you only have the Spirit, you'll blow up. If you only have the Word, you'll dry up. But if you have the Spirit and the Word, you'll grow up. I used to preach that. That's wrong. You want to know why? Because the role of the Holy Spirit is to lead you into all truth of the Word of who God is. So to be led by the Spirit is not to live contrary to the foundation of God's Word. To be led by the Spirit is to be led into the person of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And the Spirit of God is never going to contradict the revealed Word of God in your life. So stop that nonsense that it's about, you know, they're just a spirit church. Well, I hope we're a spirit church because the Holy Spirit points us back to Jesus. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit points us back to the Word of the Lord. It's not either or, it's both end. Being filled with the Spirit is also being filled with the Word of God. In fact, the more filled you get with the Spirit, the more you love the Word. I haven't read anything but the Word the last four weeks and it's just coming out of every pore, every orifice in my body. It's just the Word everywhere I go, it's coming out and I love it. I can't get enough of it. That's what happens when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when you're led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads you into the truth of who Jesus is and what His Word says. And Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall remain forever. You don't get more weird. The, the, the world may think that you get more weird the more in the spirit you get, but it's actually perfectly normal in the kingdom of God. No, it's just that your mind is regenerated and renewed and restored back to the original pattern of what God intended all along. So go with the ghost. Go with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit will draw you back to the Word. Is this helping anyone today? Took a bit of time, but we got there. 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. What you abide in, what you remain in, will determine how you walk. How did Jesus abide in his Father? Through humble submission to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 5, 19, I can only ever do that which I see my father doing. How did Jesus only ever see that which his father was doing? Through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. I said this on Thursday night at Revival Night, that if Jesus is only the Son of God, fully and properly God, and not also the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, fully and properly man, then the miracles that he did, we can admire, we can honour, we can even applaud, we can be inspired by, but we can't actually access because only divinity did those things. And yet Jesus, whilst being fully and properly God, also being fully and properly man, had to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. 
because he self-imposed restrictions and limitations so that he would be in humble submission to the Father through the leading of the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of God that would lead him to open blind eyes and raise people from the dead and minister to the outcasts and show justice to the fatherless. It was the Spirit of God that was leading him and directing him. And how much more you and I, if Jesus the man needed the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more do you and I I need to be led by the Holy Spirit. Too often we try to get God to bless what we are doing, thinking that God is clapping, golf clapping what we're doing in our lives. Meanwhile, God's over here going, hey, why don't you come and join me in what I'm doing? This is what I'm doing. And I'm blessing it. I'm I'm doing something here. Why don't you come over and join what I'm doing? The only way that you're going to discern that is if you're led by the Spirit. You can't discern that according to the flesh. The flesh profits nothing. It's the Spirit who leads you into life. So we've got to be led by the Spirit. And rather than just presuming, God, you're blessing what I'm doing, I don't even presume that right now. I'm constantly, I'm having two conversations, one with you and one with the Spirit of God. What are you saying? What are you doing? What do you want to do right now in this moment? Because so often we presume, where does that presumption come from? It comes from pride. And the difference can be seen in the life of King David and King Saul. King David was a pursuer of God's heart. He followed hard after God's heart. And so because he was a follower of God, rather than trying to lead God where he should go and what he should do, when there was an issue like the Philistines came against Israel, David would wait and inquire of the Lord. And he would patiently wait for the prophet to speak or the priest to actually reveal the will of the, God, uh, will of the Lord through the Urim and Thummim. And, and once he got the word, then he would go. An example of this is in 2 Samuel where David is waiting, inquiring of the Lord, what should he do about the Philistine army coming against him? And uh, the Lord says... Wait until you hear the sound of marching in the mulberry tree and then go out for I'm with you, I'll give you the victory. So David waits. King Saul, on the other hand, he's not a follower. He's not a pursuer of the heart of God. He's a leader who operates in presumption. He did some things good, but a lot of things bad. And he ultimately lost the kingdom of God because when he should have waited, he presumed and he went and ran and he made things happen in his own strength. It all comes back to Who's leading you? And that is why there's a fundamental difference between the Holy Spirit coming and the Holy Spirit moving. This is a distinctive that has become so apparent in our meetings and our services together over these recent weeks. It's one thing to be totally in awe of the manifest glory and power of God that literally those of us in different moments, you lie prostrate or you, 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 you're on your knees and you can feel the manifest presence of God. God's here. He's turned up. But there is a fundamental difference between acknowledging He has come and recognising what the Holy Spirit wants to do right now. Yeah. That's the moving of the Holy Spirit. And so in Genesis 1, 1 and 3, we see... Example of this where the Bible says the Spirit of God was hovering, brooding over the face of the water. In other words, the Holy Spirit was present 
wasn't necessarily doing a whole lot yet, creative work. But the moment God said, he spoke the word, let there be light, Holy Spirit is put into action and begins to move. This is why thank you, God, for your manifest presence. Thank you for your glory. Thank you that you're here right now. How many know the Holy Spirit's here right now? <laughs> He's here right now. But then we wait upon you, Lord. What do you want to do right now? And then he says, there's somebody here with a broken marriage today. Their heart is broken and I want to restore their broken heart. Boom. Something happens. Somebody here that's sick in their body. They're far away from the Lord, but they're desperate, crying out to God. Boom, God moves. See, the miracle is in motion when not just the Holy Spirit comes, but we move when he moves. And you say, Pastor Corey, I thought we were doing a Sharing Jesus Confidently series. I thought you were going to tell us the three steps to how to witness boldly. I mean, because last week was awesome and Pastor Shree and I attended the Sharing Jesus Confidently intensive yesterday and we were given all these strategies and things. What has this got to do with Sharing Jesus Confidently? Answer everything. Absolutely everything. Because when I walked into that hairdressing salon and I met a lady by the name of Leanne and I didn't want to talk, I just wanted a haircut years ago, the Holy Spirit, because he's leading, starts to tell me what to say, what to do to take all the money out of my wallet and give it to her. And six weeks later at Careforce Church at a night service, she surrenders her heart to Jesus Christ because I wasn't leading, the Holy Spirit was leading. Or when I turned up to the gym with the personal trainer and he knew I was a Christian and he had his arm in a sling and he'd injured himself and he looked at me and he said, you know, do you think you could help? Do your thing. And, and I stop and the Holy Spirit says, pray for him, lay a hand upon him and his arm is completely healed. Or Rosemary at 7-Eleven with a moon boot on and I'm like, Rosemary, what's happened to you? And I go and I lay hands upon her and the Holy Spirit touches her or the drunk on a park bench that the Holy Spirit stopped me as I'm a, a busy minister of God because it's Christmas season and we've got services to plan. And yet the very person that Jesus came for is lying on that park bench and I'm about to walk past them and the Spirit of God, the leader of my life says, now go back, get him food, get him water, get him clothes, drive him home, give him all the money that's in uh, your wallet and bless him. He's led to the Lord at his front door at his house. I could go after story after story. There's a worker here in the life of the church. She may be here today who the whole Holy Spirit was beginning to speak to her while she was on a customer call. And so strong was the voice of God that she literally hung up on the customer. Can I just suggest probably finish the phone call, okay? But hung up on the customer, went to the boss and says, I've got to go, I've got to leave. And the boss said, yes, okay, I don't know why, but go. And so the person leaves and she hops in the car and says, what now, Holy Spirit? And she looks back at a present that was on her back seat and it was a present she was supposed to give to a friend that she hadn't seen for a long time. Holy Spirit says, go to her house right now. She goes to the person's house, knocks on the door and the person asks, what are you 
doing here? Why are you giving me this present now? And she was just telling her how God just put on her heart to come and give her the present. She was just about to commit suicide in that moment in her life. But because somebody was led by the Spirit of God, someone is alive today and someone knows Jesus loves them. It it has absolutely everything to do with sharing Jesus confidently. Because if you are led by your flesh, you'll never share Jesus confidently. If you're led by the spirit of the age, you'll never share Jesus confidently. But if you are led by the Holy Spirit and your witness, your character, your life comes into alignment with the fruits of the spirit and the development of Christ's likeness in your life, your life becomes a living, breathing witness of sharing Jesus confidently to a world that so desperately needs to have an encounter with the love of God. If you're a believer here today, you've not received a spirit of fear. You've received a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control or a sound mind. And because you've not received a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, you've received a spirit of sonship of adoption. It says, Abba, Father, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. Please visit our website, numa.church, and follow us on our social media platforms.